all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where I talk to founders, operators, and investors, and sometimes coaches on all things value creation in startups. Um, Today, I am talking to Matt Munson, who is a CEO whisperer. He is a performance coach specifically for startup founders companies that are growing. Um, Prior to being a business coach, which he's been the last five years, he's been a a founder himself over at Boom Street, where he was the founder and CEO, which was acquired, as well as uh, 2020, which was also acquired. Uh, Matt is a believer in the human condition. He has studied um, under, I think it was Jerry Colonna. Um, Was that right, Matt? Uh, Jerry was my coach through my last business, yes. What was that like? Working with Jerry? Yeah. Uh, it was certainly a, a, a breath of fresh air. I, I think I fired my first two CEO coaches and had largely given up on coaching, which is pretty funny now that this is my line of work. Uh, but it was a delight to find Jerry. I think for me, he was one of the first partners under the label of coaching that I found where rather than kind of throwing a bunch of frameworks at me. I actually had the feeling that there was someone that was climbing into the challenges with me and really helping me to feel less alone in it, which has uh, become a thread that I've done my best to carry through in my own work as well. So do you think it just he possessed the people skills to build the relationship? It wasn't necessarily the content itself? Certainly not the content. Um, although Jerry's got great content, uh, I think it... Um, I experienced Jerry as someone that had done his own work and was familiar enough with his own suffering, challenges, deep questions that I experienced him as someone that I could invite into mine. And for those of us that are entrepreneurs or leaders building organizations, um, can be really easy for us to to pretend or portray to the world that the biggest challenges are business challenges, how to find the right marketing channels or raise more capital or hire that next senior engineer. But if we, if we sit and get honest with ourselves or with those we're speaking with, we usually find that the, the, deep, the biggest challenges are deeper ones and questions that we've held long before our titles as founders or leaders. And Jerry was a really helpful partner to me in diving into my own and has certainly um, set the standard for me and what it is to sit with other people in theirs. So I read his book, Reboot. Um, I'm sure, I don't know if that's his first book. Um, yeah, actually, I listened to it when I was riding my bike, and he's got his voice is definitely um, hypnotic. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. <laughs> and um, very powerful frames and questions what were his his couple of questions that he continues to to ask over and over again that seems to be applicable to most founders the one that pops into my mind that 
perhaps is the quintessential Jerry question to me is, um, how am I complicit in creating the conditions that I say I despise? And the invitation there, uh, at least as I took it, was to look at whatever's happening to me or in my team or company or family or friend group that I, where I'm laying the blame at others or externalities and to begin to look at the ways that I'm actually um, at fault or the ways that I actually have the decisions to make around how I might be proactive in affecting change. Uh, that's one of the big Big Jerry questions for sure. How am I complicit in creating the conditions I say I despise? Yeah, that's uh, pretty powerful because it definitely makes you look inward as opposed to continually going out and and pointing fingers at externalities. Um, So you were a founder of two businesses. You were searching for coaching. What what exactly were you searching for um, before you reached upon Jerry? I think in the in the, the first time I reached out about coaching, I remember uh, First Round Capital was one of our investors, and I remember emailing them and asking for a couple of coach intros. And I think where it started was was quite different from where it ended, which probably is the way that I was complicit in those early coaching relationships not being too fruitful. Um, I think where it started was this feeling of, oh man, I thought I was just starting this little business with my friends, and now we decided to raise some capital. We got all these users, we got these fancy investors. I better make sure that I'm improving as fast as the business is scaling. And I think there's like a, I think that's a well-intentioned hope and a well-intentioned goal for coaching work. And and I do hear that from particularly like kind of younger first-time founders. Um, But it was very, that was very different from where I was when I arrived at meeting Jerry. And when I, when I met Jerry, um, our, I would say our business, our business had gone through its first substantial challenges where we had raised a, a lot of capital in our Series A and gotten a year in and found that we were making a lot of the mistakes that first-time founders make. More than that, my, my co-founder and close friend and I, who was our head of product at the time, were really struggling to see eye to eye. Our friendship was very frayed. Um, we'd made some su- substantial mistakes in early hires and um, we're struggling to, to see how does one even bring a team together in, in, in some way that's effective, which now looking backward, I would say we were missing some lenses like trust and openness and connection that weren't even on my radar at the time. Um, and on the personal front, I had gone through some substantial challenges. I was in the midst of a divorce, had lost a child, was trying to learn how to be a single parent. All that was... was just as one, as often happens to, to someone who goes through a 10-year arc of doing something like building a company, life was happening as well. And so when I sat, the first time I spoke with Jerry, I sat down next to him in Colorado at a dinner, and we just started talking about life. And I, I think more than, um, more than looking for answers for how to be a better founder, which there are a million blog posts about, I was looking for someone that could be a partner for me, a friend to me, in a lot of these deeper themes and challenges that I was carrying and which I felt quite alone. And um, now being on the coaching side for five years, what I have found is when I, when I sit with folks on initial calls, I, um, when I hear folks that are looking for tactical help, you know, that's interesting. There's a lot of, there's a lot of 
different resources for those kinds of questions. What really lights me up is is being in conversation with folks that are that are in deeper questions, either in life or work, and um, those can be some of the gnarlier ones to find real partnership in, and that, that's certainly what gets me up in the morning these days as well. How often does a founder know that there's more inner um, compl- complacency versus it being a tactical problem? I'm, for me, I would feel like there's a little bit of um, uh, surface digging in order to get mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Uh, in my experience, most find it eventually, and it's a question of where on their on their arc of their personal personal journey and leadership journey that they are. Um, for me, I was um, probably six years into a fifteen year journey as a founder and CEO. Um, when it became clear to me that the, the what was getting in my way uh, didn't have to do as much with the business tactics as it did with uh, how I was showing up. Um, I think I can come at different times for different people. It, often it's as a result of hitting some kind of external forcing function or wall. Uh, so we often have folks come into coaching exploration when uh, the arc they thought they were on uh, or the what they kind of what's worked for them historically is no longer working. And often that will show up in the business. Um, Often it'll show up in the kind of internal experience of that person. A lot of folks will come in with self-diagnosed burnout or with uh, a feeling of really dramatic isolation from co-founders or the team or their investors. And that's, um, that tends to be fertile ground for exploration of, um, where there might be opportunity for more significant change. And from there, a lot of those lessons from Jerry's book come to the surface of, and I like that this is part advertisement for Jerry's book, which is great. <laughs> He's got a new one that just came out recently as well. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll uh, advertise that as well. Um, but the, for us, anyone that's been in a founder leadership role will, will be familiar with the experience that are, um, our way of showing up is mirrored back to us by the organization. And that includes both our kind of uh, overt external conscious practices and also our um, kind of subconscious patterns uh, or shadows have a way of being mirrored back to us in in our organizations. And so one of the places this can show up is at a point of scale where the way that I led in the earliest days, where maybe I was more in the doing or finding my value and what I was kind of knocking out in the day to day, is no longer effective as the organization goes past 10, 20, 50 people. And that can bring back a lot of questions of, I'm not, I'm not finding the scale or leverage that I need out of my team. What, what am I doing that is getting in the way of us kind of finding the way of being in the work together that's actually more helpful and higher leverage? Um, so those are some of the places that we find folks waking up to some of these larger questions. So you've said a lot of things that I'd like to unpack. One is uh, the term founder burnout, which I hear a lot. I've heard it used a lot more since 2021. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's, a, if that's because there's just more startups or there's more money or what, what the reason is. Um, what, what is founder burnout to you? 
is it an amalgamation of a ton of different things? Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do you diagnose it? Because you, you discussed self-diagnoses and I would mm-hmm. see that maybe that's not, it's like when someone self-diagnoses them to have depression or anxiety, it might not be depression, or anxiety, it may be something else. So yeah, would love for you to unpack that. Yeah. In my experience, burnout usually shows up. Uh, there, there's a number of indicators, but usually shows up with a feeling of, um, no matter what I do, things aren't going to change and does it, and it doesn't even really matter anyway. There's like some feeling of like, and it's very different from fatigue. Fatigue may be, uh, I'm, I'm sleepy, I'm tired, I need a vacation. And often with burnout, with, with folks that are coming and burned out, they're coming in there and they're saying things like, you know, I've taken, I've, I've dropped my workload, I've taken a vacation um, and I still, I feel as bad or worse than I did before. And there are often elements of burnout that include misalignment, disconnection, and a feeling of inefficacy of nothing will matter anyway. And the, and the, the misalignment often shows up as, as, man, I finally realized that the things that I thought I cared most about that I was working so hard for um, don't actually matter to me. That, that can be part of it. Um, disconnection can be a feeling of like, uh, of I've been um, kind of trying to, to brute force it alone, or I've come out of connection with the people that were of support to me. And um, they'll come into the call feeling like, you know, everyone else doesn't totally get it or are out to get them or some, you know, if we, if we look at attachment theory, it teaches us that as humans, we're highly resilient when we're in connection. And for most of our evolution, we've lived in tight, large family groups. We've lived in tribes that we've, we've evolved to be in connection with people. And the connection is our greatest weapon against external threats. And in burnout, we often find folks that come in with with a deep sense of disconnection from others, sometimes even from themselves. And then the last piece is inefficacy. It's this feeling of like, and I've tried and tried and tried. And it used to feel like when I tried or worked hard, it changed things. And I'm now feeling like no matter how hard I try, nothing changes. And that may be even a part of what we're seeing more of the last couple of years. And, and it may also be just a you know, more openness of the conversation and a normalizing and a normalizing of talking about these themes, which is wonderful. But the other, the, the piece that may be also coming up these last couple of years is the, the macroeconomic situation has changed a lot for founders. And when that happens, that feeling can come of, of, man, it doesn't matter how hard I work or what my team does. Like things are shifting against us so dramatically uh, and we see this, we've seen this a lot with um, crypto founders as an example that with whom we work, where two years ago, I felt like no matter what we messed up, we, things kept growing. And now it's it, for a lot of folks, the opposite experience is happening of no matter what we try, there's no wind in our sails. And that um, also could be a, a source of burnout. So those are some of the themes that we look at. And, and from there, we, we begin to explore what might be helpful in finding solid ground and connection again. From my personal experience, speaking just for me, I found the most amount of um, discomfort professionally um, when things don't go the way that I plan them to go. And mm. I feel like there's just an attachment to my identity to to the actual profession. Yeah. Um, how, how often are you seeing that with founders on like their attachment to their business um, as, as kind of a root cause? Or is it just that they've been working too hard, too long, you know, in a non-supportive context? Because I know founders that have been on the same business 10, 15 years and they're just like, I'm just sick of it, <laughs> you know, and that might be just because there's new, new investors, new equity groups, you know, it's, yeah. it's become less and less their baby. Mm-hmm. 
for me, it feels almost ubiquitous and that we all find ourselves attached to the projects that we're on or the work that we're doing. Um, maybe just share a little bit about my story. Um, I, in the last couple of years, I found myself um, studying a lot the way that artists and, and great writers work and so much about the, those, one of the shared threads among those that do some of the work that I've admired most is that they have, they, they believe that they are creating from a place of um, allowing the universe to design and create through them this thing that wants to come into existence, which can sound like very woo-woo that I'm still coming to terms with at times. Um, but this idea that like, I, it's not about me. It, I, the artist, it's not that I need to, to learn. Yes, I need to learn my craft to a place where I have something to contribute and I'm a trustworthy medium. But there's something that wants to exist, and I'm a and I'm a vehicle for that. And I I am I am not an artist, um, at least not in the traditional sense. And I think what feels so radical about that to me is what a departure it is from the way that I often held my work in in tech or in product, where my experience was that I need to be doing this work um, in a certain caliber and a certain way, and it's all on me and my team. And um, I think for each of us, in my experience, we, we all start with some way that often our, particularly in our Western worldview that is handed down to us, um, that sets us up for that type of belief that it, um, my work is an expression of me and of my value. But the more we are attached to that, the less effective we are in the work. And at least for me, the more that I felt like, man, I have to make this thing work. This is my entire sense of value. What's everyone going to think if this company fails? The way that I showed up in the work when I, when I was all loaded up with that was I was stressed out. I was snappy at my team. I was totally not creative. And how well am I helping my company problem solve and innovate when I'm showing up that way? The answer for me was like, garbage like if you go back and read my first 360 review that i did working with jerry which i've shared publicly and i'm happy to share for the listeners here i mean it reads like a list of what not to do for an early stage ceo and which begs the question of like okay so how if the work then as a leader to help a company move to a place of scale is to help a team move to a place of trust and creativity and innovation where there's room to breathe in a sense that, hey, we're going to be okay irrespective of how, we, of how the next problem comes our way. Solving problems and, and being innovative is part of the work. And the more that we remove our sense of attachment, the more space we have to really be creative and, connect, and connected. And then that begs the question, like, hey, what's the new view? And so often when we're working with folks that are feeling pretty stuck on this challenge of like, I'm wound around the axle with worrying about my own sense of worth and what happens if the company da, 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 da. And, and we look at the question of like, well, what would help you and the team have more space, be more grounded, be more connected, be more creative. That's a super interesting path of inquiry. Um, I appreciate you raising the question. I, I, it feels ubiquitous for me. It also feels like an entirely ineffective way of showing up in the work. Um, and I, uh, uh, one book I've, read, I've loved recently is Rick Rubin's book about, on this topic of creating from a very different space. And it's not, and 
I love that he holds that, uh, as, I, as I understand his writing, it's not to say that we don't take great pride in the resulting work or that we don't care about the quality of work. In fact, I think he would argue that he cares more than most, like obsessively about the final product, but it's not from a place of what it reflects about me. It's from a place of like being in partnership with the work until the work is done. And that's it. And when, when he was asked, do you ever get imposter syndrome? I love his response, which I'm going to butcher, but it's something like if I were to do a piece of work and then to feel that it wasn't high quality, my conclusion would not be like, I'm a shitty artist. My conclusion would be the work is not yet done. And for, for us founders, I think for me, it's so easy when the business is going well to think I'm great at this. And when the business takes a dip or is struggling to think, well, I'm a shitty entrepreneur. And what if neither is true? What if it's got nothing to do about my sense of value? What if the work is simply not done? And that, for me at least, is a much more helpful place to kind of be back in connection with the team and exploring, all right, so what, how do we creatively solve this next problem, which is what we're in the business of doing? How's that land? I like it. So if I'm going to be a lotus flower waiting and letting the, 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 the mud, the mud settle to get clarity and let the universe put, which I, by the way, I dig. I love, I love that concept. Um, how would one go about doing that? Mm. Well, it sounds like you've got some experience with exploring the question. What's been most helpful for you? Uh, well, for me, um, there's definitely a big part to journaling. Um, you know, there's something first thing in the morning. Um, if I don't have a, a melatonin induced anxiety filled night <laughs> where I wake up and I, I, uh, I fear storm right into a journal and basically just kind of vomit my insecurities down. Mm. And generally how that appears to me um, and, and clear to me is that I, I generally finish the thought mm. as I write so it's it's not this circular reference in my head. It's it's basically it, it comes down to an ending, yeah. which is very helpful to me. Gratitude, expressing gratitude, always always good. Um, I've done transcend, transcendental meditation. Um, I've done breath work. Uh, breath work's very difficult for me, but um, I've done it. I usually have to be in some kind of experiential um, um, format to do that. One thing that I do have trouble with, though is being able to um, manifest vision mm. of the future and be in a place of creativity. Um, because as you said uh, yourself, you're not a super creative person, but you know, we're all entrepreneurs. I mean, I, you and I are both entrepreneurs in the sense that we have founded companies. We work for ourselves. We're meant on this planet to create. Mm. Yeah. So if we're supposed to create, how do we maximize our creativity? In your yeah. opinion or in your yeah. experience. Yeah. Um, could I share a couple of notes of, uh, of connection on what you said and then also answer the question? Would that be OK? Yeah, of course. Um, so one, uh, being up and writing in the morning, um, that I find that very helpful as well. Um, I'll share a, a, an embarrassing perhaps note out of my own morning this morning. Um, I, uh, I had uh, a client that I've worked with for a couple of years decide to end our coaching work over the weekend. Um, and 
most coaches or therapists will tell you that beginning and endings of work are both important and both part of the work. And I know that. And yet I find it so fucking hard every time that someone decides to <laughs> stop coach. I, I, I swear to God, I take it personally every time, even though I'm like yeah. literally in the work of helping people figure out how to take stuff less, per, less personally and be grounded. It's an embarrassing <laughs> thing to note, but it, man, I, it, that's one of the hardest things in the work for me. So I was sitting in my journal this morning and I was making a list uh, on the one side of like beliefs that I was carrying. And then on the right column, like things I know to be true. And one, one of the beliefs is like, I'm a shady coach, uh, which is one of the things that my that comes right into my head. The second anyone for any reason, by the way, is like, I think it's I think this is a good time for us to bring our work to an end. <laughs> and then on the right column was like, I'm a great coach. And that's something I know to be true. Uh, and there were a bunch of others, uh, which I'm happy to share. Uh, but I appreciate you naming that. Like, dude, it, I I spend every day thinking about these themes of like how to help people get more grounded and out of their heads. And like sometimes the simple stuff of just writing things down in particular for me, like writing down the fears or writing down the things I know is a big one. Um, I also appreciate you sharing that it's hard to get out of, uh, at least as I heard it, to get out of your head and vision. Uh, and I also find that super challenging. Um, I'm actually just thinking about the next few weeks for me um, and like other parents out there, uh, perhaps I've got a break coming up for the holidays from work, but the break is going to be filled with time with kids and family and was thinking about how to get a couple days away in the countryside to do some visioning work for the next year. Um, Cause I also struggle, really struggle to both prioritize it and then make it happen. And part of what is helpful to me is getting out of the day to day in someplace different mm-hmm. and also letting myself, um, remove constraints is probably the other biggest one that is really necessary for me. I've got that kind of founder brain where like the superpower is kind of seeing the constraints, seeing the problem, figuring out iterations on the solution. But there's something way before that. That's like, where are we going anyway? That is the hard place for me in the day to day to return to that. I, that for me is a big part of visioning. Um, and it's probably honestly a growth edge for me. It's something that I've been spending a lot of time with clients on the last few weeks as we approach the end of the year. Um, but one of those pieces where it's, it, I find it easier to help other folks navigate their way than it is often for me to navigate my own. Um, so you're reminding me that that's a priority of mine for the next few weeks as well. You know, sometimes I get really great ideas of inspiration when I'm mm. exercising or I'm running, but I don't have my notebook and I forget. Mm. <laughs> and, yeah. and then, or I'll be, or I, I wish I just was content with walking more and mm. being able to take a notebook, but like without a podcast in, but yeah. I'm not learning or exercising or burning enough calories. So like, what am I yeah. doing? <laughs> you yeah. know, you gotta be doing something or else you're going to get fat and stupid. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just funny. It's like, I mean, like there's just like these clear things that now that like I'm going into the woods, taking walks, but being yeah. able to intentionally slow down to get innovative that yeah. it's like, I'm so hard pressed not to do because I feel like they're, they're, they're this is a, a slot of time that I must be progressing. Yeah. I, I, what comes up for me as you say that is it kind of brings goes back to the earlier part of our conversation, this Western worldview that our value is connected to kind of achievement and, and productivity, mm-hmm. but productivity, not through a long term lens, but through the short term lens of like, what am I getting done today or in this hour? Am I burning enough calories? Mm-hmm. Am I checking enough things off my task list? And you and I and probably most of the folks listening like are if we look back 50 years from now, that's likely not how we're going to judge having lived productive lives. 
And for folks that are listening that are leading growing organizations, that's not what the role is about anymore. And, and this is often, at least for me, this and, and often for when I what I see in clients, one of the hardest growth edges in leadership as companies grow is re reevaluating what our own productivity looks like. If we zoom out and look at what is the work of a CEO of a growing organization, it's pretty simple. It's to hold the vision, recruit and retain the team needed to execute that vision, and to resource that team with capital, clarity, and care. Hold the vision, recruit the team, and resource that team. That's it. And if we look at what is it, what are the what are the kind of ways of spending time that are helpful in meeting those accountabilities, it might look a lot more like a wandering walk in the woods with a notebook, mm -hmm. perhaps, than it does like getting a run in and getting down to my laptop with my headphones on so I can get stuff done. Uh, and for me, that was mm -hmm. such a painful shift. And that was back to my own work with Jerry, like a, a, a big place of, of, of exploration for my work with him, because I didn't feel as productive when I was spending time in ways that fostered spacious thinking or thinking long term or being in deep connection with my senior team. Those felt like wastes of time. I should be productive. To which Jerry would come back with some kind of thoughtful question around like, well, what, what is, you know, how would you know if you were doing a good job a year from now? But that's a hard shift. At least it is for me. So what kind of advice would you give to people that aren't in this work, but are on the investor side of the table mm. who are sitting across from founders who are giving them numbers that they don't want to see, right? You know, that um, they underwrote the business and, you know, macro headwinds, et cetera, execution is not there. And the first reaction is to pound fists at the table. Yeah. How, how, what's the better way to be more communicative? Yeah. That, you know, enforces accountability, but not to the detriment of of not feeling supported. Yeah. Uh, so two things come up. One, um, uh, another Jerryism that he used to often say to me is that um, effective leadership is about an open heart and a strong spine, both, not one or the other. And this is a Buddhist concept. And and what I what I took from that was that we can both have the strong spine, the discipline of tracking our numbers, having clear goals, checking in on how we're progressing against those numbers, but also have an open heart, which is to come with curiosity and support and love and connection. And when we look at company building, um, a lot of kind of uh, lesser investors, I would say, come in only with the strong spine or a strong spine and an iron fist, this belief that like, I got to keep this founder, this team under pressure, making sure that they know that we're not yet measuring up. And having sat on both sides of the table, having both been a founder and an investor, and also coached a lot of founders and investors, um, for me, um, if we zoom out, if we were in the business of di ditch digging, telling people they're not digging enough ditches, and they need to dig faster, that might be helpful. But that's just not the work that we're in. We are asking leaders and teams to creatively solve complex problems, and we're asking them to innovate in a fast-changing market where the externalities are also changing. When I, when I put my investor hat on, what I am mostly looking for is for folks that have the internal drive to handle the strong spine piece and the intellectual acumen to do so. 
as well. And I would guess if we asked most investors that they would say they look for the same. So we might come in with a belief that the folks we're investing in, they know they're behind in the numbers. They know that they're off track. They know da 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 da, da. If they're not, that's a separate problem. Uh, but then the question becomes, okay, well, how do we, in light of that, and in light of the fact that we're all stressed because the market's tough and we're behind, how do we help set this team up for success? And one of the best investors that I worked with as an operator was Maha Ibrahim at Canaan, and she was on our board. And I'll just use her as, a, as an example of this, this type of approach done well. Maha came into every board meeting having read all the board materials with a deep understanding of our numbers, with a thoughtful perspective on our market. And she came in 95% of the time with questions. And, with, and, and a lot of those questions were about how she could be of support and what we as uh, leaders and the team needed. And um, for me, I think the lesson there is when in doubt, turn to curiosity and questions uh, as a partner. And that tends to be under duress where humans kind of are, are best able to come back online, tap into their creative selves and also come together. And um, just as a quick a kind of story, as an example, um, I mentioned a season of the business where I began working with Jerry and where we were we'd hit a kind of hard point about a year in year post Series A. And what we decided to do, which which to me felt very radical at the time, was rather than have the team try to figure out what to do to solve, basically we had gone to market with a massive sales team and we're trying to figure out we were burning too much capital. Much like today, the markets had shifted, capital became way more expensive, and we had to figure out how to grow more in a more cash efficient way. And so we decided to do, rather than kind of figure, put it all on the founders or the leader's shoulders to figure it out, we took our leadership team, we took our whole board, and we took three advisors, and we all went and we did a one-day retreat together. And we opened up all the data and all the questions. And we asked for everyone's input, uh, helping us brainstorm paths ahead. And we left that day having received buy-in from all of these bright people with both alignment on the path forward and also everyone that was around this young company now having shared context for, the, for all the questions, the challenges, and having been there for some of the key work. And you can't always pull off something like that, but sometimes you can. And for me, the takeaway lesson was um, for as both a, an operator and an investor, is that the more we can help get people into the questions together and into exploration of support of one another, um, the more we increase the odds of success. And the more that we beat teams down with kind of guilt and shame and, and you know, um, uh, just staring at the poor performance together, uh, the, the less likelihood for success. Awesome. Matt, if a founder or an investor or an executive wants to get a hold of you in mm -hmm. order to do some of this work, how would they do that? Sure. Uh, I'm online at mattmunson.me uh, or Twitter at M-A-T-T-M-U-N-S. Either is fine. Our, our coaching firm is at sanitylabs.co. So easiest, mattmunson.me or sanitylabs.co. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. This stuff is real. Um, anyone that says business isn't personal hasn't done enough of it. Mm, yeah, um, I I firmly I, I firmly believe that it 
it's all there's nothing that's not personal about this yeah um we're in the craft of bringing together humans around a shared mission and the humans piece is uh yeah it's the whole thing it's where all the most of the challenges are for sure thanks for coming on man i really appreciate it yeah my pleasure thanks for the invitation david Everybody, that concludes the episode for this week. If you liked it, please subscribe, tell a friend, and we drop an episode every Tuesday. So we will see you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.